Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, I've got a brand new guest to the podcast. Please welcome Bimo. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Have you done any podcasts before? Uh, no, I have not. This is my first. Cool. Do you uh, listen to any podcasts on the reg? Oh, I listen to a ton. I listen <laughs> to limited resources. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, uh, Magic the Amateuring or Good Luck High Five now. I listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Command Zone I listen to um, pretty frequently because I do have a small commander group that I play with. Mm-hmm. And then for not magic podcasts, I listen to Freakonomics Radio hmm. and then the uh, YouTube Creators Hub as well. Mm-hmm. well. That's a lot of good choices there. Uh, definitely those magic podcasts are recommended for everyone. And uh, I had heard of the book Freakonomics, but I didn't know that it was also a podcast. So that's cool. Do they expand upon the original concepts? Okay. So yeah, they take a lot of... Um, current concepts and they'll kind of apply them using the Freakonomics ideal. So they have, this one's about America's math curriculum and how it doesn't really apply to, you know, today's modern society. You know, you're learning things in math about, mm-hmm. you know, just regular things and they don't teach you how to do a budget. They don't teach you mm-hmm. how to like really apply math in today's world. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the real shortcomings of education nowadays is that sometimes they don't apply that real world stuff, like exactly like you're saying, budgets and all of that. And we're having this crisis of, you know, student loans and budgeting and people just not saving for the future. And they don't know what an IRA is and that retirement is not just Social Security and so forth. And anyway, this is not really a finance podcast, but it's a fascinating (laughs) topic. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. What uh, what would you like to promote? Any social media, streams, anything you'd like? Yeah, okay. Um, I stream over at twitch.tv slash BMO, B-E-E-M-O-H. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Moans, M-O-H-N-S. Very nice. Do you have like a set schedule that you uh, that you like to stream at? Um, I used to have a set schedule, but my work schedule has changed around and it is kind of all over the place. So I stream when I can. My last two streams have been the early access events. Mm -hmm. So I have not streamed a whole lot lately, Mm -hmm. but it used to be about five days a week. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm also streaming. I'm trying to hold on to the schedule of Saturday nights, 11 p.m. Pacific time, and people can find me simul streaming at YouTube and Twitch, both under uh, VM Campos. So that's been working out for me. Yeah, I've wanted to start doing something on YouTube. I don't know if I would use it as a streaming service, but I've thought in the in the past about making like a vlog Mm because i go to a lot of gps and i do a lot of ptqs and i've thought about using those experiences and that sort of like travel time Mm -hmm. to vlog that sort of thing show that experience Mm -hmm. i think that would be interesting that's the great thing about all of these platforms that they really give us the chance as content creators to put our spin on thing or put our our word out so uh, that'd be kind of cool if you did do that if you if you had the time for it 
Yeah, and th- I mean, I'm planning on going to a few more GPs than I went to in the past year. So I, I think there's definitely time and enough content that I could put in that I would start mm-hmm. doing it. It's just a matter of actually, you know, making that plunge, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, if you do that, uh, we'll be on the lookout for it. Yeah, I'll definitely tweet it out. So sh- just follow me on Twitter. I'll, I'll make sure you guys have access to all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, the main topic of the podcast is Magic the Gathering, most likely the greatest game in the world. So uh, what um, has been your experience with Magic? When did you first start playing Magic, any form of Magic? Um, so I first started playing Magic. Um, I was in a bowling league <laughs> in high school, so like early 2000s. And the guy that was on my team loved Magic, and he gave myself and my sister um these little starter decks you know Mm -hmm. like if you have a friend that plays it and you have extra you know you have tons of extra cards laying around you just build little decks out of whatever you have laying around so he built me a zombie deck and he Mm -hmm. built my sister an elf deck Mm -hmm. and i did not like the game at all i (laughs) thought it was dumb i was not interested in it in the least bit Mm -hmm. and then about five years later i had a group of friends that all started getting into it on magic online Mm -hmm. um so right around 2005 i think it was like right after i graduated high school um ravnica had just come out Mm -hmm. and everybody in in this group that i was friends with started playing it so i just joined along we played on magic online you get like ten dollars worth of free tickets to to spend on cards, so I didn't spend a dime on it for the first um, probably about first five years, ten years of the game playing mm. playing it. Um, wow. And then they started doing dollar drafts. You could pay a dollar and draft M um, fourteen, mm. and I absolutely just fell in love with the game at that point. Hmm. What's like a card that really blew you away back in the day during that original Ravnica uh, set? Uh, do you, anything come to mind? Yeah, there's a card um, from Dissension. It's a Gruel card. Mm-hmm. It's called Killer Instinct. It costs six mana, four red, green. And it says at the beginning of your upkeep, you can reveal the top card of your deck. And if it's a creature, it goes into play and it gains haste. And mm-hmm. then you sacrifice it at the end of your turn. And that card is absolutely horrible. I've never seen another person play with it, <laughs> but I built these decks that were centered around like using Congregation at Dawn to search up three random creatures. Well, not random, but you you search up three creatures and you put them on top of your deck, and then you flip them with Killer Instinct. <laughs> so I would get like the original Nicole Bolas. I would get Cross uh, and Tusker. Mm-hmm. And like Sutured Ghoul and Crossing Cloud Scraper, like all these really big, ridiculous effect creatures, mm-hmm. and just cheat them into play using just the worst means possible. Yes. And I thought it was amazing. I thought it was so much fun. Well, that's the great thing about it that people gravitate to the game in different ways. And I'm sure you saw like the art. I'm looking at it right now, and the art is like this really huge, like worm or whatever. Uh, and you can't even see the yeah. people on the bridge. And I'm sure that like the evocative nature of it, like huge creatures that I can uh, summon at my beck and call. And I think that's one of the great things about the game that people can really relate to different aspects of it. Oh, absolutely. I am a Timmy at heart. The bigger <laughs> the creature, the more I like it. I think um, 
you know, just the big beefy green guys are always what I gravitate to to start. Yeah. The flavor text on that card is amazing too, because it's something like Boris soldiers saying something along the lines of like, we almost have the bridge. We almost have it. And then it's just in all caps. It screams retreat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The same thing there about not only art, but then the flavor text and they tell a little story in these cards and it's a great flavor win when they can put some fun text as well as what the effect is plus the picture and it all really comes together oh absolutely yeah speaking of big creatures and being a timmy at heart well i played originally back in the 90s 1995 to 1999 no i don't have a black lotus and back then <laughs> there were some really big weird creatures as well one of my favorite ones is this one called scaled worm it came out in the in Ooh, the set yeah. ice age and I just loved the art on that one. It was I just love that whole Ice Age block anyway. And nowadays it's very underpowered. It's very weak. It's very painful to draft and such. But it was yeah. like one of the, those early sets that I just really loved. The art, the story, and everything. So Scaled Worm, I think it was like a 7-6 for, I don't know, like 7 mana or 8 mana or whatever. And I would just love getting that creature out. Uh, nowadays it's very overcosted and underpowered. But I got to love the classics. Yeah, just a, a vanilla 7-6. Yeah. yeah, that that card used to be amazing back in the day. Yeah. And now, you know, you look at six mana, seven sixes that have trample and like yeah. five abilities when they enter the battlefield <laughs> and all this other sort of stuff. Yeah. There's always been this evolution of, of magic in, in this time. So when I first played from 95 to 99, I stopped for a long time until 2017. And that was right after Hour of Devastation. I still had all my original cards. Uh, even when I moved through different places, I still had them in, in a storage box or whatever. And then for whatever reason, I kind of got the idea to look through them again and sometime in 2017 and getting a lot of nostalgia for them and like, hey, this was fun. Hey, it's still around. Oh, what's this new set? Egypt theme. This is cool. And I got back into it and I've been back uh, uh, pretty hardcore more than the old days since 2017. Yeah, I... I started drafting a lot with M14 because of the dollar drafts, but the thing that really like grasped me, like that really got a hold of me, was the set right after M14 was Theros. Mm -hmm. That's Greek mythology, and I loved Greek mythology, the the Iliad and the Odyssey and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. in, in school. I I really caught on to that. So seeing it come to life in a game that I was currently playing. I, I just absolutely fell in love with that. And now we're doing the same sort of thing with uh, Thrones of Eldraine mm -hmm. with Camelot, which I also love quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And like Grimm's Fairy Tales. My mom absolutely loves Grimm's Fairy Tales. Mm -hmm. So going back, I you know, I got to I got to see her over last weekend and I showed her all these cards. I'm like, Do you know what this card is? Do you know what this <laughs> card is? Just showing her artwork and and just telling her like the story of what's going on and you know, she's not she's by no means interested in magic, but she's very interested in the stories that are happening because it reminds her of the stories from when, you know, when she was telling me them as a kid and that sort yeah. of thing. What would you say then in general is your enjoyment level of Throne of Eldraine after, after everything we've seen of it so far? Oh, I have had a blast so far with Throne of Eldraine. Um, I draft way more than I really should. <laughs> I think I have about... 10 drafts under my belt mm. um at the moment through magic online mostly mm. um i have one three and oh 
And then I have one O and three, which we're not going to talk about because, <laughs> you know, I'll cut it out of the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> I do really well at the two and one, mm. or like if you go into arena, I'll go like five wins usually before I hit my third loss. Mm. Like I'm really good at that. I get real close to almost like getting to the end. And then I just, just don't quite make it mm. unless I have this ridiculous deck. Mm. Well, that's kind of interesting to to compare and contrast with Magic Online versus Magic Arena. They both are versions of Magic, and you know the Magic Arena's got the spotlight at the moment, but it's just another way to play Magic. And I guess more ways to play Magic is more good. Oh, absolutely! Like Arena is great. It has brought a ton of people into the game. Um, there's it's way more accessible. You know, you download this app, it's real flashy. You do all that sort of stuff on it. Like, it's real easy to to pick up cards. You don't have to worry about spending money right away. Like, I've never spent a dime on Magic Arena. Um, mm. But I've hit Mythic about, oh, wow. I think, two different times. Um, just Convinced. trying to go through and playing. Thank you. Um, I mainly use Arena to practice standard. Because mm -hmm. um, I'll go to, a, like, there was a GP here in Milwaukee... Um, I think in October it was Guilds of Ravnica standard and I used all my wild cards that I had built the deck that I was going to play hit mythic playing, you know, just grinding through games with that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next season I wasn't playing standard. So I just dropped off of arena for a little bit, but you get to come back. Mm -hmm. Most of your cards are still good. You, you know, throw a couple wild cards to whatever you need for what you've built up and then you're good to go with the new deck. I built, um, I completely skipped when Sultai midrange was a deck because mm. I went from green black midrange to the command the dread horde deck. So I didn't really have to pick up like all the hydroid crisis and, mm. the, and the breeding pools and that sort of things. But I did pick up the command the dread hordes and Liliana's and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, how long would you say you've been playing Magic Arena since it's been out? It just officially came out of beta recently, and it first was unleashed to the public in late 2018, I believe is the timeline of that. Well, let me let me think back. Actually, late 2017 were the first rumblings of it, and then early 2018, they started to do some of the beta. Yeah, and then it was released to the public in 2019. So when did you start uh, first playing some of this Magic Arena? Um, I played Magic Arena at a GP. They had like an early event sort of thing going on where they had, I think, about eight computers set up and you could play against another person. Mm -hmm. And I think that was in, ooh, it was, I think it was right around the time that Hour of Devastation was coming out, mm -hmm. if I remember right. Mm -hmm. um, and either that or it was early January right after Hour of Devastation. But mm. I played it there, and they gave me access, like, I think the next week. Oh. I got an email for, for access. So I it was, like, fairly early on in the beta. They were trying to get as many people as they could to sign up. Oh, cool. So it seems like you did get early access, yeah, either late 2017 or early 2018. That, that sounds, yeah, during the very early time there. 
I got access. Well, I requested access in early, probably January 2018, and then I got my invite in around April 2018. So we've both been kind of playing it for a little while and seeing how the evolution of the client keeps getting better, flashier, maybe slowing things down, but uh, keeps getting better um, and uh, can't wait to see how further it goes, you know, refining more of these rough edges like with friends lists and stuff like that. But I think they, they've got a lot of things on their plate to make it better and better. Well, I feel like Magic is such a good game anyways. Like, I play Magic online. People make the joke that it's essentially Microsoft Excel playing <laughs> Magic. And and Magic Arena is definitely not that, right? It's It's the flashy version. It's got the fun animations. It's got all that yeah. stuff going for it. And if you can take, like, the greatest game that's ever been made add a bunch of cool fireworks to it and have a couple of small issues, mm -hmm. I think it's still going to be a hit no matter what. I think so. Yeah, I've been pretty positive about the game overall. There's been some missteps here and there, but every time they add, you know, every time they put out their release notes, I go in and I read the whole thing. It's such a techie document sometimes, but I like just going in and reading, oh, we get this sort of multiplier or um, this new feature and here's what's coming next eventually. So I kind of like that tech aspect of it and I've seen it evolving and it looks like we're getting a lot of new players coming into it. So that's always good. Oh, absolutely. I used to do like a small amount of coding for a digital card game. Mm -hmm. I, it was not a small amount. I did a f most of the cards that needed to get coded. I was the one that made everything work and made the game tick. Oh, wow. um, so going through and reading those sorts of notes are always super interesting to me, too. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, are you at liberty to reveal what game that was? Uh, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was around from, I think, like early 2005 until I have no idea when it disappeared. It's mm -hmm. called Edoran. Mm -hmm. um, it's based out of Brazil, mm -hmm. but it's an online trading card game. Oh, interesting. Hadn't heard of it, but uh, it's cool that you've got that perspective. Like you said, you've done some coding. And I think sometimes people in the community, you know, you want everything now, you want it fast. But, you know, programming is tough. I do I do programming. Uh, I teach it and I also do it. Um, and it can be tricky, you know, one wrong character, not one wrong command, but one wrong character can break everything. So I can definitely see that they're, they have to uh, really smooth things out in the game and there's a lot of things to manage with the rules engine and everything so kudos to them to uh, keep improving the game yeah you can only imagine if you coded a card wrong on magic arena and then all of a sudden you miss a bracket mm -hmm. and everything that happens on every card from that point on gets added on to yeah. one specific card like the first card you have just says like draw a card but then because you forgot to put another bracket in, it adds in like the entire context of the next card. <laughs> yes. Now, it sounds like you've been playing various versions of Magic for a little while. So what would you consider your skill level to be? Beginner, intermediate, advanced, or somewhere in the middle? Um, I'm, I wouldn't put myself at advanced. I think other people would. I, I consistently day two GPs when I go to them. Mm -hmm. Um, the last PTQ I was in, I got third place. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I can't put myself like I haven't gone to the pro tour or now the players tour, mm -hmm. you know, I've never been on that level, which is ultimately my goal is to get there. Um, I think 
once I hit that threshold, I would call myself advanced. But mm-hmm. I, I know enough about the rules. I'm not a judge, but I know enough about the rules. I know enough about, you know, the different skills that you're looking for and the different ways that you're supposed to attack different archetypes and metagames and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had enough success to say that I would be an advanced player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leave it to everyone else uh, to call you advanced. I think that sounds even better when other people do it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I uh, When I took my long hiatus out of magic, uh, I was definitely a beginner. I just had... I, I was so out of it that I didn't know what these Planeswalker cards were. I was like, hey, where did mana burn go? And why is the frame so different? So I was really out of it. Oh, yeah. In that time, I was asking everyone, what does this do? What does that do? And now people are asking me, what does this do? What does that do? So I don't, I consider myself solidly somewhere an intermediate. And uh, it was definitely a learning experience in the first several months, the first year or so, getting back into it. Like things, there's enough of it that I still remember from the 90s, but there's enough of it that's different that it's kind of like relearning the game somewhat. So I just think that's a testament to the game that the core has always been there for 25 years, 26 years, but uh, they can continue to innovate uh, set after set, like adventures now and adamant mechanic and food. So once again, I think the company does a great job on iteration of the game. Yeah, and then the nice thing, really the reason why they're able to do that is the only thing, the only constraint that you have in Magic is you have a battlefield, you have cards, and you have a hand. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can only have a certain number of creatures out. It's not that you can only cast a certain number of spells in a turn. It's not that you can only have a certain amount of mana. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you get to you get to see all these different decks exist where, you know, I'm the deck that wants all the lands. I'm the deck that wants all the creatures. Mm-hmm. I'm the deck that wants one big creature or these specific combination of spells. They all can exist, and you, you as a player, get to personify yourself through those cards. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in any other game. Yeah, for sure. Um, other games have existed definitely throughout the years. Like uh, way back in the 90s, there were games about the X-Files. There were games about Star Trek and uh, Star Wars and Marvel superheroes, and they've come and gone, and nowadays they're still uh, competitors. There's uh, Transformers and you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! and so forth, but everyone's just been trying to do a version of magic and succeeding to various degrees, but there's still always the original one to come back to. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's there's nothing stopping a person from going to a legacy event playing Beast Tribal, which I'm not going to say I have or have not done, <laughs> but, you know, you're completely out of the game, but... <laughs> what you want to do is what you want to do and you're able to do it in magic like i played the pokemon trading card game mm-hmm. as a kid um, i think everybody collected the cards but i was you know playing the game and i was not good at it but you don't get to do anything really that's what you want to do it's oh you're playing pokemon you're evolving pokemon you're attacking with them and attaching energy mm-hmm. you're not this is my deck. This is how I play. You know, there's no real archetypes in that game. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I'm part of a uh, card club at the local college and there's uh, the contingent of magic players and then people that play the other games. And um, 
it's just interesting to kind of look over other people's shoulders that everyone's got these cards and they've got their own set of rules. Uh, but when someone tries out magic and they say, oh, I can do that, like, oh, I can react to my opponent or I can do this or I can do that. Uh, I think I win over people to come try magic because you just like you just said, there's archetypes, there's there's a meta, there's a way to express yourself more. There's just more to the game. It is more complicated. And studies show that it is the most complicated game in the world, but that's part of its allure. And each each card in its own right is like very different. Like you can see five different kinds of what like four and a white for a three four flyer. Mm-hmm. Like there's a card right now that that's in Eldraine that's four and a white for a three four flyer. That same card was in Kaladesh. Pretty sure there was a version of it in Ixalan too. But you get to pick which version of that you want to play mm-hmm. because the art's different, the flavor behind it's different. Even though it's the exact same card, all of it's different. Yeah. Speaking of cards, then, is there any card at the moment uh, in Standard that you're enjoying? Um, I want to say, I'm, I'm, so I'm typically a green-black player. And this is very against everything that I believe in, but I want to say that my favorite card at the moment is uh, Torbrand, yeah. the Thane of Redfell. Mm-hmm. He's uh, well, he's, he's one red, red, red. Yes, and he makes it's essentially the third part of uh, the Flame of Keld. All your mm-hmm. red sources deal an additional two damage. Mm-hmm. They had the um, that win twelve event where you can play with any card yes and i built i built mono red and i've had probably the most fun i've had playing standard in a very long time Hmm. playing mono red just playing with like that guy at the top of my curve and the new bone crusher giant i think that's his name the the adventure Hmm. yeah it it deals two damage and it it stops damage from being prevented that turn and Hmm. then he's like a four three yes Playing those guys alongside like a cavalcade of calamity style deck, yes. that was that was very fun. I went six and zero to start, and then I kind of died right after that. But mm-hmm. well, six wins is still pretty good for such a perilous gauntlet. There, it's two losses and you're done. Best of one. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Torbren is pretty cool. I like how they did all of these rare legendary creatures for each of like the realms or kingdoms or whatever their term is for it. So he's the one representing the red kingdom and he's like uh, a Gimli-esque looking character. And yeah, I love that damage plus two that all of your red sources does. Yeah, and, and that's never been the style of deck that I like to play. But something about that card in particular, I have like, I decided... When I built something for this, I wanted to build a deck around Torbrand because I thought he was so cool. Mm-hmm. I've seen the card played, and uh, I see that it works well. But this is the first time I'm looking at it on uh, on Scryfall.com, and I'm seeing the flavor text uh, kind of for the first time. And it's, a dwarf's grudge runs deeper than the mountain's roots. So that's just epic flavor right there. Yeah, and usually when you see him on the battlefield, he doesn't stay there for so for long enough for you to read that flavor text, right? <laughs> he is. At least, at least if you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're going to be aggro, you don't have time to read flavor text. One of the cards that I'm enjoying is one of these sort of like lords of the realm here. I like Ayara, first of Lachtwain. She's the uh, 
black, black, black elf noble. She's a 2-3. And what I like about her is the strategy. Overall, I like blue and black decks. Um, either some like sort of life-draining, life-gaining things, or some maybe hand disruption or milling. I kind of like those kinds of um, decks. And then so this one, she fits well in a mono-black deck because every time a black creature enters a battlefield, the opponent loses life and I gain life. Well, that's perfect also in uh, multiplayer real life to make you the number one target because you're going to be hitting everyone at once. And uh, that's one of my favorite strategies. Being enemy number one is your favorite strategy? Pretty much. That's always a way to do it. <laughs> one of my uh, real life games was in a four player game. I was playing blue black and I had my perfect first three turns it was so perfect but it made me enemy number one and i lost first turn one i played a swamp and then i did vicious rumors so everyone discards a card uh mills one card loses one life and i gain one life okay turn two drop my second swamp i played burglar rat all my opponents discard a card because the rat ate it third turn i dropped my swamp and i did um disinformation campaign which again everyone discards one card and i draw one card so uh rinse and repeat and then i didn't last too long that's street three straight three for ones yeah. that you got off of them <laughs> yes exactly i try not to do that too often uh i could tell that um people weren't having the best time when i was playing that deck but i i change it up i use different decks in real life and if i get it to go off like that at least one time i'm fine and i'll put it away and play something nicer I, I have a Ailey Eternal Pilgrim commander deck, mm. and I could see that card just slotting in perfectly. You just go, you know, turn one, skull clamp, turn three, some like turn three or turn two, Ailey, and then turn three, you play Ayara. Mm. And then anything you do after that is drawing you three cards, dealing one damage to everybody, and just like the slow paper cut kill. That's <laughs> that is always just so beautiful. You take forty turns to kill everybody, but nobody gets to do do anything <laughs> in the process. Yes. I'm looking at that card right now, Ailey Eternal Pilgrim. Yeah, that that's right up my alley as well. I like uh blue black, but I also like black white. Uh so that's kind of what I'm playing on and off on arena black white knights i kind of like the synergies there with uh quick knights and they can uh help each other out and synergize pretty well so what about yourself any sort of decks in general that you're liking on arena uh, i've been doing the mono red thing since eldraine came out um mm -hmm. before that i was playing the green black command the dread horde deck mm -hmm. even though it wasn't part of the real meta um I just didn't have the wild cards or didn't really want to put any extra wild cards into building a brand new deck. But now that now that Eldraine's around, rotation has happened, it's it's time to spend something on something, mm -hmm. right? And it's probably gonna end up being either mono red, you know, flushing out everything to build that all the way, or I heard there's a really good green black adventures deck that I kinda wanna try. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few people trying to set it up. Uh, they drop a couple of those artifacts that double your adventure or let you draw a card if you've got an adventure creature. And uh, I think I think it'll work. Uh, yeah, you should, you should try that out. Adventure's been a fun mechanic for me so far. What about yourself? Yeah, I, a lot of the decks that I've liked when I'm drafting Eldraine are the adventure-style decks. I haven't gotten any Lucky Clovers in draft. Yeah. Um, I think I've picked up three or four ember cleaves though mm -hmm. um 
So I, I always get pushed into red lately, <laughs> but I had a couple really good green white adventure decks that I almost went undefeated with, but didn't quite. <laughs> and anytime I can play almost a draft deck in standard, I feel pretty at home. I do a lot more drafts than I do constructed. So. <laughs> I like to do constructed when I'm trying to climb that ladder. The highest that I've gotten is uh, diamond four, I believe. I often get around platinum somewhere around there, and uh, it goes I'm, it goes platinum and then diamond, right? It goes platinum, diamond, mythic. Yes. Yeah. See, I always I'm in platinum, and then I I get up to platinum one, and then I'm grinding my way up those last little bits and i hit it and i scream out wow i went mythic this is amazing and then it says i'm diamond and i'm like Uh oh "Oh, no i have a i have a whole other tier to climb (laughs) yeah uh it's funny how they you know you 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 know gold silver bronze from the olympics but then okay they're they're having five levels of it so they threw in diamond and then they threw in mythic so it's kind of hard to like maybe the first few times what is the order of these things again and back when the game was way more in beta i still couldn't tell between the difference between like uh remember like bronze and gold looks so similar um and then like raising and lowering tiers in there was so arbitrary yeah i remember um where i don't really i don't even know where i'm at right now i think i'm either at bronze or gold but i like I have to look at it, read what it says, double check all the time. Mm-hmm. I can I can never remember where I'm at. I usually just hop into games and play them. Yeah. And earlier in the beta, those little emblems they used to have like little lines or like little pips that you could see. Oh, this one's got two little stripes, so it must be bronze two. And this one's got three stripes, so it's bronze three. But now they've kind of uh, redesigned them in in more more esoteric ways that you can't really tell what level that you're on unless you're at the you know, level four versus level one of a tier. But in between, it's like you're just kind of playing and grinding and uh, climbing, hopefully. Yeah, I never knew what any of those things meant until you said that. And <laughs> I'm assuming that they're gone now, but I've never really looked. I, I know that there were times I've played against people and they've had these little dots. And I have yeah. no idea what any of them ever meant. I just, it's the opponent. I'm going to beat them. Yes. I'm going to try to beat them at least, right? Mm-hmm. So I like playing some constructed, but I also like doing uh, limited. I like. Um, do you like? Uh, cons- do you like sealed or draft a little bit more? Uh, I I definitely like draft more. When I first started playing, I thought sealed was better, um, just because you didn't have as many decisions to make. It's like here's your pool. Mm-hmm. This is all you have to worry about are these cards that are right here. So. You know, first starting out, that was always really fun. Um, nowadays, yeah, I it, it's really weird. So I got I got my um, my bachelor's degree in communication, mm-hmm. and the thing that I liked the most about that degree is learning about nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. And drafting is literally nonverbal communication in Magic. Yes, you're not talking to the people to the left or the right of you, but they're telling you exactly what you should be doing. And as long as you know the best way to listen to what they're saying, you're going to have success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that's lost in Arena, unfortunately, because we're drafting against bots. But in real life, definitely, that's part of the game. Not just what cards are you getting, but how are you getting them and when are you getting them? And, you know, if you steal glances around a little to your opponents, that's 
that's a little bit of um, that information that you get as well. I hope they add real-life pods in uh, drafting eventually. Yeah, that's the one thing I haven't been able to figure out, is how to successfully navigate through an arena draft. Because I'll I'll cut off a certain color in, in pack one, and assume that I'm going to get rewarded in pack two, and it never happens. Hmm. And I, I just don't know where to go from there. So half of my decks turn into these train wrecks where I thought that I was really good and I was setting myself up, hmm. but the bots don't listen to anything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's you do have to play it somewhat in isolation that each pack that you're past, you have to think in isolation about yourself rather than your opponents. Because in one of the recent limited resource episodes, I believe they had one of the programmers that worked on Arena on the episode and and Marshall was kind of asking him so do the bots really pick any usable decks and and the guy said nope they don't they don't pick usable decks yeah i think that was uh there was an episode with Ryan Spain who is on going optimal and he was the original uh co-host with Marshall for mm-hmm. limited resources mm-hmm. and he went to go work for wizards for a while and he was working on arena at the beginning mm-hmm. and essentially they end up with decks but they're not like you would never play the deck. Yeah. Like, that deck is nothing. You would just drop before you tried to play it. <laughs> so I hope that's on their agenda to be able to play with uh, real life people soon. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a really nice change of pace to be able to just hop into a draft. Like the actual draft itself is harder to navigate through because you're not getting signals and and that's all kind of wonky at the moment. And if that got fixed everything would be way better. The nice thing is you get to hop into a draft, you get to make your picks, and then you can disappear. Like in the middle of mm-hmm. the draft, if you have to run to the bathroom, if an emergency comes up. And that, that's the beautiful thing about Arena is that it's all set up just so you can get these little bits of time in on the game. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they will do best of both worlds that you can choose. I want to do a bot draft at the moment because I don't know if I'll have time to see it all through. Or they'll have a real-life opponent draft where you play it in the classical way. If that was the case. I mean, I would I would always choose drafting with people over drafting with bots. Because um, I'm more of a stickler of the like the traditional way of playing Magic. Mm-hmm. Like when they switched from the regular pod play to league play on magic online. I, I was in a fit. I was in a mm-hmm. frenzy. I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with my life because mm-hmm. they switched it from where you would draft with eight people and then you would be stuck in an event until those eight people finished playing three rounds against each other. You would be stuck in your little insular pod. Mm-hmm. So if you all opened up bad packs, you're not really, you know, disincentivized from playing your games out, you're going to have the same power level deck as everybody else. And nowadays you go in on Magic Online and you draft with somebody, but then you go into a larger pool of people and play against everybody that's playing. I thought that was going to be the end of everything. And that, I mean, it's really not. It it Mm. has not made any changes at all. It makes no difference. Mm -hmm. Now, have there been any cool, funny, weird moments that that you've had on arena that come to mind? Oh, absolutely. So I was grinding with um, the green black explore deck during mm. guilds of Ravnica standard. 
I was playing against Mono White. And actually, no, I was playing. I was playing a really bad Saltai version at that time because I didn't know what I was doing with my life. <laughs> um, but I was in game three. I was playing against Mono White, and they attacked me for not quite lethal, and I had lethal on the crackback, mm-hmm. and I didn't block at all. They <laughs> don't kill me. It goes to my turn. I'm holding up a Vraska's Contempt and a Negate. Mm-hmm. But I only have four mana. There's only, like, I can't I can't do both, yeah. right? And so he good games me. The opponent <laughs> good games me. Yes. And I move as I'm moving the combat, they say, good game. And I say to myself, well, that can only mean that they have something here and the only thing they could have is me attacking and them settle the wreckaging me. Yeah. So I don't do anything. I don't play the Vraska's Contempt at all. I attack. They, of course, play Settle the Wreckage. I have Negate in hand. I, I say good game. <laughs> and then they just start spamming oops immediately <laughs> after that. And I, I mean, obviously, I get the win at that point. And I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is either what made me hit Diamond or made me hit Myth. I remember I was really excited about the win, but mm-hmm. yeah, having the perfect card at that perfect moment. You had two perfect cards, but not enough mana for either of them. But with that little bit of signaling, you were able to pull it off, huh? Yeah, they had just you know a little bit too much too much moxie. They were they had a little bit too much of a head, and they're like, "Oh man, I got this guy. He's definitely going down." <laughs> And I'm like, oh, huh, interesting. Well, I'm not going to do this. I'm going <laughs> to, I know exactly what your game is. Yes. I had an interesting encounter just last night on my stream. It was, I was playing this Black and White Knights deck, and I don't quite remember what my opponent's playing. My my big tragedy is that I forget, like, two seconds later what opponent I played. Um, and so they... What was the board state? Okay, they had filled up a board state on their side where they had like they had the game had gone on for a little while and they had maybe like seven creatures on their side and I had maybe like six. So they were really close to uh to that to 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 getting killed. They were maybe at two life and I had probably like six life. It was really close. But I was playing this knight's deck, and one of the great cards in that deck is the Smitten Swordmaster. It is a, it's got a sorcery for one black mana. You gain X life. It's got a, it's got an adventure for one black mana. Uh, you gain X life and each opponent loses X life where X is the number of knights you control. Well, I wasn't going to be able to swing in to get past their defenses, but I had enough knights on the board that I can just cast this adventure sorcery off of the smitten sword master. And that's what did the final points of damage and got me the game. The second, the second win. Yeah, that card has been really good. I had two of those in my pre-release uh, sealed pool. Mm-hmm. That that card is. I didn't even have a lot of knights. I didn't. I didn't have a lot of knights in that deck. Mm-hmm. It was maybe like three or four, but it's just that little bit of reach. Especially aggro decks need that to really yeah. end the game. Just that little bit of reach can just make or break a game. Yeah, definitely. It it brings you up in a little life in case you need it. If you've got some of that knight synergy, it can pack a punch. And for three total mana, you can do the sorcery or you can get the 2-1 lifelink out. 
So that's the versatility, really, of, of this new of this new set. Hey everyone, we're about halfway through the episode. So it's time for an ad. Have you checked out the great YouTube videos that I've published about Magic the Gathering? Are you interested in upgrading a Planeswalker deck? Planeswalker decks are a great way to get started with Magic the Gathering, but they're also a wonderful skeleton deck to upgrade. I've had great success publishing videos about how to upgrade your Planeswalker decks. Head on over to youtube.com slash vmcomposjr and check out my playlist, Upgraded Planeswalkers. You'll get some great tips from beginning to intermediate to advanced concepts in upgrading a Planeswalker deck. Those are at youtube.com slash vmcomposjr. Now back to the show. Would you say, in general, Throne of Eldraine, does it feel more complicated than recent sets? Let's say comparing with uh, War of the Spark, everyone was saying that was very complicated. How would you perhaps compare those two? Um, I, I definitely think it is very complicated, um, but in a different way. So... There's a way to be complicated. War of the Sparks War of the Sparks complexity was there were a lot of different things you could do in any given turn in terms of where you were attacking, what you were doing with your planeswalkers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But Eldraine seems to be complex in mana efficiency. Like mm-hmm. every every adventure card is two cards so if you have an opening hand of seven cards and three of them are actually adventures you really have 10 cards in your hand and you Mm -hmm. have 10 different ways you can spend your mana Mm -hmm. that's true it is uh kind of like split cards in a sense and you can cast both of them at a certain point there's that one I was thinking earlier, there's that one giant. Well, that yeah, there's that one giant who it can be a board wipe early on if you need it. And then later on, it's a big old, what, like seven, five giant. So you've got two cards in one as long as you've got the mana for it. And if games go out longer, those adventure cards are probably even better because you'll have mana for both halves of it. Have you, have you seen that card on Magic Arena? Yes, the big old... Uh, giant's hand giant yeah the giant hand that comes down and wipes your entire board (laughs) i was playing in the early access event and i thought there was no way i was going to lose i didn't know that card existed and then all of a sudden this hand comes down and wipes away my entire board their opponents at like five life Mm -hmm. i thought i had them dead to rights and the next thing you know my entire board is just wiped away by this giant hand Mm mm-hmm What's fascinating about that card, okay, it's a board wipe, and often that that's in white or maybe black. You know, Kaya's Wrath is the popular one, and um, Cleansing Nova and such. This is in green, and it ties it over to creature types, so non-giants are wiped out, and that'll often be most of your opponent or everyone's, especially your opponents if you're crafting the deck for it, but 
possibly everyone's board wipe in green, which is fascinating. And the animation is hilarious, too. So that's the only board wipe I don't grumble when it happens, because the other ones, I'm tired of those, but not of this, uh, not of this giant one yet. Yeah, the real interesting thing, too, is in Constructed, this is a board wipe, but it's also a finisher. So you could, in theory, have a deck that really doesn't have any way to win the game, like the the old Teferi loop decks. Yeah. You know, used Teferi as a win condition, but really never had a way to win. This is another way to not have a way to win, but still have a way to win. Mm -hmm. Because you keep kind of like uh, stalling them, perhaps, by those wipes, and then eventually you get a big giant? Yeah, because, I mean, the way that I've always understood it, control decks don't really care how they win the game. It's just going to eventually happen. But now these these cards that are sorceries that are attached to creatures because they're adventures, mm -hmm. you know, and you're playing them for the sorcery side, just have inherent win conditions stapled onto them, too. So if you're only worried, you know, as a green-black player, you cut a lot of removal against these control decks. But now, all of a sudden... They have win conditions, but they're just not playing them to be win conditions. They're just playing them because they're board wipes or they're removal spells or that sort of thing. Hmm. Hmm. Well, more options is much better. That's definitely what a control player would want as well. Just different ways to control things. And that all ties back into the complexity of this, right? Because you're thinking to yourself, you know, if, if you're sideboarding game two, and you're playing green-black, and your opponent is playing some control deck, you're thinking to yourself, they don't have a lot of win conditions, I'm going to cut Murderous Rider or something mm -hmm. like that. Actually, that's a really bad idea. But <laughs> you know, you're, you're cutting some sort of removal spell, and then you go into the game, and next thing you know, they're casting all these Brazen Borrowers or their giants or whatever mm -hmm. and you're like oh i really wish i had a removal spell right now yes and you that would never happen before mm -hmm. yeah there's it there is that complexity there's just so much going on not in a negative way of course but since the the meta is so new we're still trying to figure it out and i think that's pretty exciting early on in any sort of format when there's a bunch of new cards especially you know these sort of like double cards these adventure cards and especially in this day and age where so many people so many people are playing magic that the meta gets figured out so quickly mm -hmm. having these cards that are two cards really increase the complexity make it harder for us that are trying to you know we're we're trying to break the game at the end of the day we want to figure out the best possible way to win mm -hmm. and the that becomes you know just ridiculously more impossible when you have all these new options, all these brand new things, on top of the fact that, you know, Standard just rotated. We just lost a lot of cards. Mm -hmm. Standard just rotated, and we seem to be getting more of an influx of new players from various avenues. So what would you say, as a player that leans a little bit more towards advanced, what sort of advice would you give to these new players that are maybe coming in to a store in real life or trying Magic Arena? Um, if you're going to a store, ask questions. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's nobody at this the game store that I go to. If you walked up to them and said, "Hey, this is the deck that I drafted. Can you tell me what I should do?" Or this is the pre-release seal pool that I built. Can you 
tell me what you think about it that would not no, there's there's nobody at that game store that wouldn't sit down with you for five minutes and say, mm-hmm. yeah, let's take a look. Mm-hmm. We love building decks. We all love magic. You're, you're gonna put a deck in front of us. You're gonna put, you know, forty five cards in front of us and tell us which five to cut. Like, <laughs> yes. absolutely, we'll help you out with that. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're playing on Magic Arena, um, I would say I always stuck with one kind of deck. I have always played either like really aggressive decks or like the mid-range decks that lean aggressively. And I really wish that I knew more about control or combo decks or those sorts of things because there's times where I've wanted to play, you know, the the Esper hero decks or the Esper control decks that have been mm-hmm. going around, but I, I'm not going to all of a sudden try to get Mythic trying to play this deck that I've never played before. Yeah. You know, if if I could sit down and learn about those different things, I think I would be a much better player. And would that be like just that there's kind of like guidance in the client itself or just you finding your own time or maybe some sort of external resources to help with that? Um, I think external resources could help. But, you know, if you're sitting down from an opponent that is playing a deck that you've never played, you don't know what their thought processes like you can kind of guess it you know if you're if you're playing against you know we're using the idea of esper control and in your head it's oh you know what they always have these hands that are all removal spells and then to fairy and they're always going to have removal removal to fairy well if you don't if you don't play the deck if you don't have those cards in your hand you know, you know how it's going to end up working out for you. You you shuffle the deck the first time you try to play it, and you look at the opening hand, and it's an opt, like four lands, a counter spell, and then like some other card, right? Mm-hmm. And in in your opponent's mind, they're saying, "Oh yes, they have removal spell, removal spell, removal spell to fairy." When in all reality, you have nothing. <laughs> and when you learn how to craft a board state around that idea. And then you go back to the other idea where your opponent's playing Esper Control and you're playing some other deck, and you know that there's a possibility where you would keep a hand that's opt a bunch of lands, counterspell, and Teferi, or not even Teferi, mm-hmm. then you see your potential lines and your potential outs way better. Mm-hmm. If you just stick with one deck, if you say to yourself, oh, I've heard Mono Red is the easiest deck to play and it always wins, like, and that's all that you ever play, yeah, you're, you couldn't you can be really good with that deck, mm-hmm. but you won't get every possible out in your head. You won't mm-hmm. see all the lines, all the different combinations that you could have. You might have blinders on. You know, if you're not walking a mile in someone else's shoes, you're missing out on that strategy that could help you in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, if I'm playing a mid-range deck, there's times where I'm the aggro deck, and there's times that I'm the control deck. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a good control player because I've I've never played a control deck. So when you know I lose games where I'm supposed to be the control because I don't know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I lose games where I'm playing against control because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I think a great way to really encourage newer players is just play 
what you can really do in arena that you can't do in other ways is play every card that you want. As long as you've got wild cards, you do a little grinding, you get some gold, maybe win some gems in drafts and such, get wild cards. You could craft, in theory, any deck that in real life might be very difficult to craft. So I think if just uh, beginning players just try that out, play, win some gold, maybe save it a little bit, and then maybe crack packs, get wild cards, and play any kind of deck you want. And the, the beginner decks do a good job. Like They have the, the single-colored decks that you get when you first start playing. Mm-hmm. Those decks do a good job of teaching you how the different archetypes work. Mm-hmm. They had the... When I wasn't really spending anything, you know, when I didn't want to use my, my wild cards for anything yet, they had almost the blue-red Drake deck that was yeah. popular. Mm-hmm. Like almost that entire deck was available as a pre-constructed deck, just a free deck to play with. Mm -hmm. And there was almost a point where I built that deck where I used my wild cards for Arclight Phoenixes and Niv-Mizzets and things like that. And I never thought that that would have happened. Like I am, I'm not a blue player. I don't normally play blue, Mm -hmm. but blue red Drakes was so much fun because the Timmy in me says, wow, I can turn this uh, crackling Drake into this 20 powered creature in the air. <laughs> that seems amazing. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Those um, free decks that you get are a great learning tool to just get started off and playing some games. And hopefully then you think about how can I tweak it? How can I add to it? What can I remove? How can I make it my own? So kudos to them. So kudos to Wizards of the Coast for providing those starter decks. Uh, just uh, it's a great stepping stone for newer players. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I when I go to a GP, I will look at deck lists that have been performing. And I use those as skeletons too, right? You know, you you take a deck that somebody else is performing with, or in this case, you know, with Arena, you're taking a deck that somebody else is giving you, and you say to yourself, how can I make this mine? Mm -hmm. What do I like about it? What don't I like about it? How do we make it so that it fits my play style and my personality? Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes that's you know, we're not playing this deck. We're going to play something else. I don't like playing this mono red deck. I do like playing this mono blue tempo deck because it's the it's the play style that fits me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's all about options and personality and magic gives you all of that in spades. What would you say, however, perhaps is something that could be improved about magic, either the game, the community, the company, the client, any, anything that comes to mind? Um, I think the, the low hanging fruit is that non games happen more than they probably should through, you know, mana issues. I think (laughs) that the new Mulligan rules have changed that quite a bit. So it's not as bad, but there's, there's still times where you Mulligan to, four and you've never seen a a single land yeah do you think that's part of our perspective in that we remember the negative a lot easier than the positive because i know i've very recently probably today when i played earlier i felt hey i'm getting mana screwed again but if i really think about it it's like well not it's happened again yes but not so often enough that it's that i should be saying again what do you think about that perspective wise 
I can tell you with absolute certainty that I remember zero. I remember zero of the games that my opponents have mulliganed to four and I've won. <laughs> but I, I remember every single game that I mulligan to four and lose. Yes, definitely. That's that's supposedly this is a very true random sort of implementation of the game much more than we perceive in real life because of various other factors. But when it's that random, sometimes we just don't see, is it that random or is, is the shuffler against me or, or what's going on? But yeah, it's weird. Cause some days you feel like the shuffler is against you. And then the other day, you know, you're, you're saying, Oh, I, I really need to draw like bonfire of the damned off the top. And then you flip the top card and it's, bonfire of the damned and you board wipe your opponent and burn them for five and then you win the game and, and you're like oh yeah absolutely that's exactly what i needed to do and then you say to yourself i'll keep this one lander i just need to draw a land and then you don't yes. draw it and you're like why why yes. me why is i'm never lucky <laughs> exactly i think i've uh, experienced both of those sentiments very recently too and the other thing too is like you never see the other side of it that uh, especially not on arena when your opponent keeps a one lander and they draw the second land and they're super lucky and you don't see that or like they they keep a one lander they don't see their second land and you're just too busy like mm -hmm. curving out on your opponent to really realize that they're just completely not in the game at all yeah. sometimes you just don't even see it mm -hmm. or you think like oh yeah i'm i'm the good magic player i'm not keeping those hands <laughs> yeah it takes two to tango two to play magic if you could narrow it down to one thing, what would you say is something that you love about magic? I think it's really the ability to express yourself through the card. Mm -hmm. um, I I think back to um, you were were you playing during Kaladesh? No, you played during. It was, you said Hour of Devastation? Yeah, I just missed Kaladesh, but uh, I did play Kaladesh on Arena, so I remember Bomat Courier and all of that good stuff. Okay, so there was a point in time. Actually, no, this was this was right when you started playing. There was the four-color energy deck that was going around <laughs> that was playing Glorybringer and um, the Scarab God. Mm -hmm. And I went to a GP that that was the deck to beat and i wasn't playing the four color version people were playing four color or they were playing teamer or they were playing sultai and nobody was playing sultai mm -hmm. but i did mm. that was the deck that i liked to play because it was green black you know usually that's that's where i feel most comfortable so i'm playing that i took a deck list I think it was Seth Manfield's deck list that he either won the Pro Tour with or almost won the Pro Tour with. Mm. And I, I tested with that for a little bit. And I really liked the way the deck worked, but I found myself losing games to Whirler Virtuoso way too many times. Mm. So I changed up the sideboard in a way that nobody ever like really expected. And I added this like six mana demon um, it's called Demon of Dark Schemes, mm. and it enters the battlefield and gives all all your opponent's creatures minus two, minus two, or something like that. Mm. 
And that was my way to win through these like stupid Thopter tokens that Whirler Virtuoso oh, kept yeah. making. Mm-hmm. Nobody else, I think, at that entire event played that card. Because every time I cast it, I won the game. But every time I cast it, somebody had to read it. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't on the radar. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't on the radar at all. But that that is one of my favorite cards from that set. And I knew that I liked it. I knew that I wanted to play it. And I found a reason to play it. And I don't think I would have done as well at that tournament. Like, I started that tournament 4-0. I ended up making day two, and I, like, just barely missed cashing. Mm. Um, and I don't think I would have gotten anywhere close if I didn't have that card in my deck. Mm-hmm. But if you were any other player, there's no reason you would ever play that card. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, like, individuality, right? The ability for you to express yourself through the cards and, like, show... Yeah, this is my card. This is my favorite card. Mm-hmm. Really, really lets everything shine through in Magic. Like I've put, I've put Kambal, Console of Allocation, in way too many decks, <laughs> and it's starting to see play in Modern. Like people are playing it in Modern decks, but I had a point in time where I had that main deck in a green-white deck in Modern. Mm-hmm. I splashed just for that card, just because I liked it. Mm. Well, the art is pretty epic, too. Oh, yeah, he looks awesome. He is so cool. He's just staring you down. He's going to really allocate your consoles if you're not, uh, if you're not careful. And you got to pay up if you want to do anything on Kalidus. You have to pay that man. Yes. The flavor text. He has, quote, friends in places both high and low, and all seem to owe him favors. So I think I would agree with you that, yes, there's a lot of ways to customize the decks, bring individuality to things, figure out things outside of the meta. I really like how you said that about that. No one was playing this card, and what what could I do to kind of break out, out of it and do something that no one else was thinking about? And I think that is definitely a mark of an advanced player. Like, let me look at what everyone else is doing, and let me find a little thing that will unravel it all and put it in my favor. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, magic is a puzzle. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree on that. A lot of moving pieces, and when they all come together, they come together really well. Absolutely, right? And magic is the same way. It's a puzzle. You're going to have a way to win a game. Very few resources. You need to find a way to use those resources better than your opponent is using theirs and win the game. Mm-hmm. And... If you're able to do that, you feel really smart, for one. (laughs) If you're able to do that with the cards that you put in your deck, you feel extremely smart, right? Like, I chose to put this card in here. I set up this scenario. Like, I played a game, I played a commander game a while back where the entire point, like, the only thing I wanted to do in this game was to cast uh, Villainous Wealth to take a specific card of one of my opponents and then beat them with it. <laughs> I didn't care what happened after that. I just wanted to beat this one player in a game of commander with a card of theirs that they loved. Cause mm-hmm. I thought it would be funny. Yes. 
And, you know, I, I set up a scenario where I got them to draw the card, I got them to cast the card, I bounced it, I cast Villainous Wealth, I took it, and then I killed them with it. And then I was like, I don't care, I'm done. You guys can do whatever you want to me now. <laughs> That's definitely living the dream when all of those pieces come together, especially in a commander deck where you've got one of each card and you've really got to craft what you're going to do. And when it works out, then yeah, that was way better than winning. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, right? <laughs> yes. So even though we both agree, I think everyone agrees magic is the best game in the world. I guess there are other hobbies that people can have. Do you have any other hobbies besides magic? Uh, yeah, I love baseball. Mm. I am a very big LA Dodger fan mm -hmm. and when we started this, they were winning, and they did win today, ten to four. They're in the <laughs> they're in the playoffs. They need one more win to go to the uh, National League Championships. Mm -hmm. So, hopefully, they go to the World Series for a third year straight. Now, are you saying that the Dodgers won because you were being interviewed in a podcast? I think so. Uh -oh. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the reason why. All right, I think you're going to need to be on another podcast when they're in the next game. Absolutely. I would love it. <laughs> How long have you had uh, this? Well, come to think of it, okay, Dodgers, that's California. Uh, did you used to be in California and now you're over uh, in uh, Wisconsin? Uh, no, I am born and raised in Wisconsin. I got into baseball when Eric Gagne had a very long save streak for the Dodgers. It's a record-setting save streak. Mm -hmm. And... I would turn on SportsCenter, and he would be on the screen all the time. Oh, Eric Gagne gets a save. Eric Gagne gets a save. Oh, he's amazing. And I'm like, wow, the, the Dodgers are awesome. They are so good. This is, this is the best team ever. And then I actually started watching them, and they were not good. <laughs> Eric Gagne was all right, but I'm pretty sure he was cheating. Oh. <laughs> and they had like a 40 some year old guy playing third base that could barely walk, you know, those hmm. sorts of things were going on and they were, they were real bad for a couple of years, but mm -hmm. I, I stayed strong. It was a true fan stuck with them. They picked up a lot of really good players lately and mm. yeah, they're like, they've been the best team. They've been the team to beat for like the last at least three years. Oh, mm hmm. I know that when they come down here to San Diego, I'm in San Diego, um, the Padres oh, no. try to... Oh, you're a Padres fan? I'm sorry. Oh, well, no, 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 no. It's okay. I live in San Diego, <laughs> at least. But uh, fans, I'm not a big sports fan, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, I like I like the Padres, but I'm not so uh, fanatical at the moment that it's okay. We can all get along. You know, Dodgers and, <laughs> and Padres, they can hang out. Sure. You know, the, the one thing, if I ever went to San Diego, the one thing I would want to do is check out their zoo. I have yeah. heard a lot of really good things about the zoo. I love going to the zoo. Mm -hmm. I love elephants. Mm -hmm. um, that's like my favorite animal. I love like the monkeys and the apes and things like that are really mm -hmm. good. Um, are, have you ever been to the San Diego Zoo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have a long tunnel aquarium, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I would love to be in that. That just seems so cool. Yeah, it's very immersive. Uh, I think the San Diego Zoo has done a very good job of being a kind of an immersive sort of zoo and letting the animals kind of have a little bit more space and such. 
And yeah, we've got the the panda, the pandas and such. So yeah, if you ever visit San Diego, stop by there. And then right next door, there's also Balboa Park, which is another great sort of um, tourist and like cultural area to go to right next door. And then if you just take a couple more miles, you can go visit the, the Padres at the stadium. Yeah, I definitely think I have to plan for that. Hopefully <laughs> when they announce the GPs that are coming up, San Diego is one of them. It seems that recently they've been doing it more in L.A. area, unfortunately. But yeah, hopefully they'll come to, down to San Diego as well. I can't complain with that either. If they do one in L.A., I would be there in a heartbeat. That L.A. is amazing. That's probably one of the best places I've been. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great fun city. I've gone there to work with some clients. I uh, I've done web design. And I had this client who had a restaurant here in San Diego, and then they expanded to L.A. And so I took a few trips there to kind of do their marketing and web design stuff and just a pretty, pretty cool place. Yeah, but I bet, I bet San Diego is pretty good, too, right? I mean, you, is it the same sort of thing where you have like the city and then the beach like just right next to each other all the time? Yeah, you have everything. I live a little bit more towards the east of San Diego. So right outside my door, right, right outside my window here, I see some nice hiking trails and hills and mountains. And then I look towards the west out of my uh, balcony and I see the ocean right there. And I grew up here in the San Diego area, uh, Imperial Beach, a suburb. And yeah, the beach was right there. It was in the name of it, but it was also a few streets down from my house growing up. So the beach is always within arm's reach or if you want to go the opposite direction you can get to some mountains and like forests and things so it's a little bit of everything you just have to kind of watch out for the fires and the earthquakes i guess but besides that it's a pretty great place yeah i'm i'm definitely jealous because it's you know middle of or early october right now in wisconsin so i'm pretty sure we're about you know a week away from snow happening for us yes then no one will hear from anyone from Wisconsin for another six months because we're all, you know, just stuck in a blizzard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really experience snow here. Sometimes we get hail, and I would like to have some snow and stuff, but then I would like to have it in, like, little flurries, not the kind that you have to get up at 6 in the morning to defrost your car type of snow. No, snow is beautiful for exactly, like, a day and then everyone drives over it and all the dirt hits it and it turns to like this ugly mush and then you know you have to leave a half hour early every day for work because you have to shovel yourself out and and de-ice your car and do all that sort of stuff and you just get over it real quick if i could live in a place where it would snow for a day and then go back to like summertime for another week and then snow again for a day after all that stuff is gone i would i would live there in a heart mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe you'll find your vacation spot like that one day well i don't know maybe with global warming we could like create our own sort of place where that happens right put a big dome around someplace yeah this weird like hurricane of like all seasons over the course of a week <laughs> have everyone in the country experience every season yeah, yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> well, this has been the continuation of our uh, weather podcast. <laughs> Next topic. Uh, we both played in the Early Access Streamer event for Throne of Eldraine. That's where I uh, reached out to you. We were both on that super secret Discord server that I can't talk about, that we can't talk about. And uh, we played some Throne of Eldraine, and I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, how did your uh, How did your event go? Oh, it, it went pretty well. Um, I had to work 
earlier in the day. So I got home at like, I think seven or eight o'clock at night. And I really wish I could have drafted, but it wasn't up at that point. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have any standard decks I wanted to play. So I just was grinding out sealed decks like it's nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I had my, this was my third opportunity to do the early access. Actually, I'm very uh, grateful for that. Thanks, Wizards of the Coast. I was there for the, uh, War of the Spark, and then Corset 2020, and then now Throne of Eldraine. So I, the very first time I did it, I in total, I streamed for nine hours, not continuously, however. I broke it up into different times of the day, and I had to go to work also. And then the second time, I think I did seven hours. And then this last time, I think I did six or so. And again, I broke it up a little bit. But it was, it was, I was able to do a little bit of that draft. It was way too short. But it was cool to see the new cards and just try out this new meta. And uh, I didn't run into you playing, unfortunately. But uh, maybe we'll we'll run into each other online on the next one. Yeah, I did the what was it? The M twenty uh, early access event, and then I did this one. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten a draft in either of them. I'm pretty sure they only give you enough time to do maybe one draft and play the games like it doesn't seem like you get a long time it's a very short window of opportunity yeah i think it's only an hour or two or so and you don't really get much of a chance there and i remember from from war of the spark there was no draft at all i believe and then they added the draft i think m20 m20 i think was where they started yeah so from the feedback that that uh, the other streamers gave i hope they follow that um i hope they follow those those cries for more time to do it uh, I, i'm not sure what the technical reason is why they can't do it for the whole event but i'm sure there's reasons but that'd be nice if they had it on longer and um i was trying to do stipulation drafts or stipulation constructed in in just that it was only thrown of eldrain cards i kind of like to immerse myself in a in a set a lot by just using cards of that deck even though obviously you can't can't create the best tier decks that way but i kind of like showcasing the cards that way they they used to do a thing um it was a whole format that was called block constructed yeah and you could only play with cards from the specific block mm-hmm. and that would be really cool to have on arena for a little bit where they say you can just play with cards from thrones of eldraine mm-hmm. yeah i would totally go for it i did line up a few games here and there direct challenges with people uh with eldraine only cards so that was pretty fun and i think it'd be a great way for wizards to show off the new cards you know more power to people trying to really get ahead on standard but it's kind of cool to have the opportunity to play with new cards, so why not just play with the new cards? Yeah, absolutely. And with new formats and with different formats, yeah. it allows for different cards to shine. Like mm-hmm. there could be a card that we'll never see play in standard, that we'll never see play in historic, but in specifically Thrones of Eldraine, you know, just Thrones of Eldraine constructed. Yes. It, that card could just be an absolute powerhouse. I don't know what card we're talking about here, but, you know, in theory, there yes. is a card that could exist that, you know, that's the home for it, but nobody plays that format. Mm-hmm. And now nobody likes this card. Nobody cares about it. Whatever, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So looks like we both had a pretty good time on that. And it's uh, now time to get back to the full standard at the moment after the rotation. So 
um, winding down. Any final thoughts on anything Magic Arena related, standard, or anything else? I think Arena is really awesome. I've got a bunch of there's a there's a PTQ season coming up that I want to start practicing for, and there's a lot of different decks that I want to be playing. And instead of spending hundreds of dollars buying the cards, like the physical cards, or spending actual money on Magic, like on Magic Online, mm-hmm. I can craft those cards on Arena, test out a deck, and then if I don't like it, craft more wild cards and build another deck and test yeah. that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great testing ground for any type of deck. I've definitely developed a few decks on Arena that I do want to put together on, in paper to go with my play group, and that's just a, another great reason to play Arena. You can, again, literally play with any card as long as you've got the wild cards, which you can get through gold, which you can get through time. So as long as you've got some time, you can make any deck you want. Yeah, absolutely. And when I when I was really grinding on Arena for uh, that one GP that I had going on, I played against all the meta decks. I played against the the regular decks that you're expecting to play. So when you go to a high-level tournament, you know what to expect. I was never at any point during that GP, you know, feeling very confused, like, what is this person doing? Mm-hmm. There were a few times when you play on Arena where you play against somebody and they're playing something completely out there. Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure I played against a red-white prison deck. I know it was a white-based prison deck. Mm-hmm. It had to have been red-white because they played a haphazard bombardment, that mm-hmm. like six-mana enchantment that blows up a permanent at random. Mm-hmm. And then the Dawn of Hope enchantment that you can pay mana and make a 1-1, and then whenever you gain life, you pay mana and draw cards. Yes. And it was this prison deck that just blew up all my stuff. That deck was amazing. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen anybody play it again. But if I was going to an event, and you go up against a player, and you've never seen an event, you've never seen that deck being played, you have no idea what you're playing against. You have no idea what your game plan is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And just the sheer number of people that are on Magic Arena playing all the time, brewing and testing and just trying to compete, yeah. you have access to all this information just right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the spectrum or both ends of the spectrum in terms of people that are really trying to play tier decks to get to mythic. So you have that great trial by fire to really play against the best. And on the other side is people that are just trying fun, weird, jank things that maybe aren't going to go too far, but they're fun. And I really appreciate when I play someone on the ladder and it's not a tier deck. It's a really out there deck. I appreciate that. And I wish we had more of these emotes to really you know, express ourselves, but I, I give them a, you know, one of the positive ones and hopefully they take it in a good way because they, they did impress me on their choice of deck. Yeah. I'm always scared to say nice when somebody plays like <laughs> a, a fairly janky card, like quote unquote janky card, yeah. because I feel like I'm going to come off like sarcastic. Yeah. When in all reality, I'm, I'm genuinely excited. Like, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same here. Well, BMO, uh, would you like to promote again any social media or anywhere people can find you? Yeah, like I said, I have a Twitter at Brett Moans, B-R-E-T-T, 
M-O-H-N-S. I tweet out all of my good draft decks. Um, if I'm at a tournament, I will tweet out my results sometimes. I'm not really good at that, but mm-hmm. I want to get better at that, so I'm going to say it now so that I'm like held accountable for it. <laughs> um, I stream over at twitch.tv slash BMO, B-E-E-M-O-H. Um, I will have a YouTube channel up at some point, I think, mm-hmm. especially after this little conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that I definitely want to do, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So f- again, follow me on Twitter so that you see when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I got nothing else. Thank you so much for that. I'll definitely put all the links that you like in the show notes, maybe get you some traffic. And eventually, maybe when you're back on the podcast, you'll have that YouTube channel. Yeah, that would be awesome, right? We could talk about like my daily adventures. Yes, a fun vlog to see behind the scenes of what it's like to, to be the grinder and to be going to the various events. Maybe there'll be a vlog of me at the San Diego Zoo with a cameo <laughs> from VM. <laughs> maybe you heard it here, listeners. That's coming sometime in the year in the in the far distant future of the year twenty twenty. Some sometime in the next five to ten years. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if we put it out there in the ether, it's got to come true. Oh yeah, that's true. It's got to happen now. Hmm. As for myself, I'm over on Twitter, twitter.com slash vmcampos. I stream every Saturday, 11 p.m. Pacific time on Twitch and YouTube. So that's uh, twitch.tv slash vmcampos. YouTube, however, is youtube.com slash vmcamposjr. Don't forget the JR at the end, but if you search vmcampos, you should be able to find me. And I also have a Patreon. If people want to go over there to follow for free, they will keep up to date with all the stuff I do because I also do videos on YouTube regarding comic books, magic deck techs, crack-a-packs, all that fun stuff. If they'd like to go to the $1 tier, they'll get exclusive access to some stuff. And if they go to the $2 tier, I'll actually mail people vintage magic cards from my collection. No, not a Black Lotus. And so I've also got vmcampos.com if people want to check me out there. So, Bimo, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena. <laughs>